This is Chris Damien, and you're listening to a recorded conversation I had about abuse that occurs in Catholic communities and how those communities respond. I spoke with Claire Fries, who was abused as a child by a parishioner in her community. Years later, she came forward to report her abuser and also to seek accountability for her pastor who failed to do anything when she came to him. She shared her story with The Pillar and afterwards had to suffer the loss of relationships and marginalizations by her old parish. We talked about the ways that communities make it hard for victims to come forward and how they marginalize survivors after they do. We also talked about finding strength, supporting victims, and what all this has meant for my own friendship with Claire. This conversation includes discussion of adult themes and also discusses sexual violence with some details. Not everyone may be in a place to listen at this time. If you listen and find yourself troubled, don't be afraid to take a break and step away or to seek support from friends, family, or a qualified professional. Thanks for listening. I made this decision during the Kavanaugh hearings and when Dr. Blasey Ford was giving her testimony and everything she was saying was all too familiar to me. And it wasn't until she, I heard someone else explaining what happened to them that I realized what happened to me and how serious that it was. And so maybe, maybe saying these things are connected aren't, isn't a good way, but everything just kind of fell into place. Yeah. Um, I mean, was it, I think what I might be hearing and, and tell me if this is wrong is that, you know, there were a lot of things that happened during that time period. And, and, you know, I've talked a lot about these, so, you know, I'll just kind of bring them up. So, you know, we have like yeah, the, you know, 2007 assault when you were 15 mm-hmm. and then, you know, there's a series of, of, of those. And then in 2018, you were assaulted as an adult and right around the same time, there were the Kavanaugh hearings and uh, Dr. Ford was sharing her story. And, and, and what and is what I'm hearing that, you know, the 2018 assault combined with Dr. Ford coming forward, all of a sudden you could recognize what was going on in those instances. And that gave you clarity about what really happened to you as a child. Yes, yes, that is what I'm saying. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and I, I think that that is not an uncommon experience. Uh, and I think we had talked about this. I remember having a conversation with my therapist about something that I'd experienced, and uh, when I was younger, and, and I was an adult. But and she said, "Oh, that's assault," and I just did not know what to do with that. Right. I and remember that- the first time I told someone out that I told someone like years and years past, I think it was in 2016, I told a friend of mine kind of what this guy, what, what my abuser in 20, in 2007 did. And my like verbiage changed because initially if people had asked me, I've been like, Oh yeah, he was a little weird. Like his, it was like, and then it was like, well, it was kind of inappropriate. Like he crossed some boundaries and then it went from like crossing a boundary to inappropriate touching to then when I like told my friend, she, I can still see her sitting at her kitchen counter, eating her sandwich and her like dropping it and looking at me like horrified. And I thought, Oh no, what did I say wrong? <laughs> and she's like, so he molested you? And I went, oh, uh, well, I don't know. And then she's like, Claire, say it again. Hear what you're saying. And I went, oh, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that, I guess that is what happened. And just kind of went back to eating lunch and she's just staring at me. Just in shock understandably so uh and it was just like those next it was honestly those next couple months or couple years that I thought about it and I went okay yeah I guess I guess I was molested as a child but that word was so dirty to me and I had just pushed everything 
down so far that I didn't want to make it worse than it was. And then when 2018 happened, I was like, okay. So that was sexual assault, even though like molestation and sexual assault are the same thing. It took me a while to put those words together. And I think that was also something that in just the community that I grew up in, you didn't say bad things. You didn't say bad words. And sexual assault was very bad. Molestation was very bad. Rape, you would never hear that word. I remember now, because I've talked to my mom about it, there was a girl at church who had been raped and became pregnant and no one said that word. But people said like, oh, she was forced. And when we say these words and make the really heinous thing that happens to people, you should be uncomfortable with those words. They're not supposed to make you feel okay. You know, words carry certain meanings and carry a certain weight. And so to take away the weight of what happened to this person by removing a word and saying something like, oh, she was forced. Who's going to have any feeling on that? And no one's going to want to do anything about that. So that's kind of when I heard words like when my friend said you were molested and then I connected it with sexual assault. It was shocking for me to put all of that together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's shocking. It also forces you to look at your past differently. So I think, you know, growing up, you create a certain narrative about yourself and, Mm -hmm. and this has certain role in it. And you think, and and not using the word, part of what it can do for some is it, it lets you live in a narrative where like, I wasn't really impacted because it wasn't that bad. And then when you finally put the word on it, you're forced to question, oh, actually, was I mistaken about certain parts of my narrative and how I understand myself? And are there a lot of things that I need to reprocess and and work through again, which is scary? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it it is really interesting, though, in in so many communities, and and this is a problem in Catholic Christian communities, but also broader communities in American society, you know, we so often want to talk about sex and sexuality using innuendo and different words. And so I think, you know, like forced feels better than rape, even if it is by definition rape. And I, you know, I'm, I'm reading uh, a manuscript for a book that'll be coming out by Julia Sadusky, who's a Catholic psychologist. And she talks about how with, with kids, especially young, young kids, if they experience sexual assault, a lot of times the only thing that they'll say is, I don't like that person. Or I don't Which is want exactly to what I said. That is exactly what I said um, after the first time. So this, so my abuser in 2007, there were four instances of abuse. And that is exactly what I said to my parents the, the night that we came home from this event that we were at, where it happened. And I... I just said, like, I don't like that person. I don't like him. I don't want to be around him. I think I may have said, like, I hate him. And both of my parents were kind of like, oh, okay. And I do remember my mom asking me, like, did something happen? And I just lost it. And I kind of just, like, locked myself in my room, uh, and then just kind of like shut that down. So in she definitely saw that I was reacting outside of my norm. Uh, but I there, there's the fine line of like pushing your child to tell you something that happened that they aren't ready or don't want to say. Um, but those are the exact words that I said to them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also just hard. I think a lot of it is generational. I think that our parents' generation and our parents' parents' generation, they just didn't have the same tools to be able to recognize, talk about these types of issues, talk about them with their kids. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like uh, Dr. Sadesky's uh, book that will be coming out Mm -hmm. is it helps to put parents to do that. Um, But there are also certain kind of 
community elements that make having these conversations even harder. And I think that's kind of one of the big things that I want to focus on is not just, okay, we've, we've unpacked the harm that happened to you, the response by the priest, the priest not doing anything when you go to him, and then you eventually go into the archdiocese. The archdiocese yeah. basically has him do some professional development trainings, more or less. Yeah. And so, you know, there's we've kind of explored those aspects of this. But one of the things that we haven't really explored is the, or I mean, you and I have, but not not in one of these forums, is the role of, of the parish community. Right. And how when abuse like this happens, the community plays a role in creating the conditions for it to happen. It plays a role in making it harder for kids to speak about what happened to them. And then after finally you make the decision to come out, there are all kinds of ways in which the community puts up defenses, goes back and marginalizes the victim who's come forward. And, and, and so I, I would be really interested in exploring some of those things. Maybe the, kind of the first element would be looking back at your time growing up in this tight-knit, very uh, traditional, I guess a lot of people would say conservative Catholic parish that strongly mm -hmm. touts family values. Looking back now, are there elements in that community that you think helped enable your abuser to get away with what he did and also that helped to prevent you from speaking about what happened? Yes, to both of those questions. Um, so yeah, I so we moved to Epiphany when I was five or six years old and I was there my through college like post college so that's really the only faith community that I really knew uh and like you said very much preached family values and traditional families a mother and a father and the average of like five six kids and then some and there were a lot of families with many more children uh preached to be very pro-life and to have parents really involved in their children's lives. There was a lot of opportunities for volunteer work because it's such a large parish. And I think that, so my abuser was very boisterous and very involved with his children and involved in their activities. So his kids were in sports, his kids were, they did um, like Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts. And so he was always involved with that. Uh, and then volunteered a lot with the church. And when his kids went to the school, they volunteered there. And that's when I'm that's when I first met him when I was in like kindergarten, first grade, because I was very, very close friends with his son. And so you develop these friendships with people either in school or in church. And you assume, or you are made to believe that you have very similar values. And so parents let their kids go over to their house or so-and-so can pick the kids up so-and-so you just have these natural feelings of these are our people and that's not a bad thing like you, you can't live in a world where you just don't trust anyone or you can't let your kids out of your sight that's not realistic but he just had this very childlike immature and like not like a sweet child, like, but a very immature child, like way of going about things and interacting with both children and adults. He was very inappropriate and he was very loud, kind of tried to play off this comedian type 
personality. And because of that, because he was, this is my assessment, because he was so loud, people just didn't really do anything. And it was like, oh, that's just Robert. That's just, that's just who he is. That's his personality. And so he, and I do think that is his personality too. But because that's his personality and people brush it off, the more and more boundaries that are crossed, the more and more lines that are shaded. And so he's able to do things that people aren't really paying attention to because they are either not surprised, they're annoyed and are ignoring it. Um, And then in the respect towards me, you know, we became really close with this family um, at a time where my parents made the decision to homeschool me. And I do not believe that those things are related. (laughs) A lot of people have asked me that. It just happened to be the circumstances. Um, I had a really good experience with being homeschooled. And I think that whether it was I was in school or I was homeschooled, this could have happened. This isn't isolated to that event, but it was the community that I was immersed in at the time. And my family was just really different from the majority of families within the homeschool group. Uh, In my home, my parents just talked very forward and kind of bluntly to us about things. We lived in reality. And I think that was in part largely due to my father's job in law enforcement. And so we didn't shy away from things. We didn't hide things. Our dinner conversations were lively. (laughs) Um, And I, Chris may come as a surprise to you, but there's a rather precocious child and was very forward and friendly and I liked to have fun and I liked to hang out with people and I was not I I was not without ability to be social with anyone that I met um however some of the families and some of specifically the mothers saw that as too much. And from a very young age, I was told that I was too much and that I should be more quiet. I should not exaggerate so much or I should not be so dramatic about things. When I'm sure there were times where that was true. But when I look back on it now, I was just being a kid. I was just having fun and I was just whatever. So there was a lot of times where I was just told to be quiet. I was told that I was too much. I needed to tone it down. I'm being distracting or you're being dramatic. So that in turn was someone that they looked at and said, oh, that's just Robert. Oh, that's just how he is. So when I reacted really poorly to him coming towards me or touching me or all of this, I was told to be quiet, that I am overreacting, that I am being dramatic, and to stop it. I remember screaming during the first assault and a mother peeking her head kind of back to where I was, telling me to be quiet. And so in those, in like that community that I had, it was kind of like, oh, the kids, kids will be kids and they'll do this over here and they might get a little rambunctious, but then I was too much and I was dramatic. And then parents acted a certain way over here, but not Robert, because he just kind of does his own thing. And another thing they said was, he's kind of like one of the kids, but he's not. He's in his 40s. 
he's a parent. So in, in those ways, I think, I don't think it's specific to a Catholic community, but it was specific to the community that I was in to where they just made excuses for someone they liked, someone they loved, and then made excuses for like an annoying teenage girl. Uh, wow, that was okay. so many things uh, yeah. back there. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I'm, I think I'm hearing a few things. I'm hearing, you know, one, there was this belief in the community that because you all shared the same values, more or less, and one of the same things that you could just kind of trust everyone that ascribes yes. to those values. And you can trust them with your kids, with your lives. And related to that is also just, and this is very common in, in a lot of, of communities like this, a, a lack of uh, recognition of or respect or cultivation of boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly, you know, in part because, well, you can just trust everyone. We all have the same values. You know, we can do that. But then also people have certain roles to play. And that includes like the abuser here who has this role in the community. And a lot of excuses are made for him because no one wants to deal with it or relate to him. (laughs) And then I also actually wonder a little bit if uh, part of of what I might be hearing, you know, you're talking about this, um, this messaging to you to be quiet, be more docile. I also wonder if there's also an element of kind of stereotypical expectations for women and girls that yes, absolutely yeah 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 okay you have that was you latched right onto that could you do you could you share a little bit more about that yeah I mean so like I said I was outgoing I was outspoken I gave my opinion I and again I look back on it and I was just a kid I was just I was a little girl like entering my like really formative teenage years. And I, I was just hanging out with friends or I was just talking or I was just, and I'm sorry, but some of the things that like the other girls would talk about. I mean, if you want to talk about stereotypes, I was in a book club with some of these girls and I, will fully admit I was in this book club solely just to hang out with two of my friends that I rarely saw. And so I never read the books. Um, And they got so mad at me all the time, but they read things that I wasn't interested in. I wanted to watch American Idol and hang out with my friends, (laughs) listen to like pop music and go watch movies at the theater and the movies that I wanted to go see were deemed inappropriate and I just like didn't fit in with a lot of those people there was a quite a bit of um, purity culture was constantly preached uh kind of a, a woman's role it was you get married you have kids that's it the idea that I wanted to go away to college to become a nurse was like, oh yeah, a nurse will make you a good mom. I was like, well, oh. <laughs> what if, I mean, I want children someday, but what if I didn't want to have children? Or what if I never had the opportunity to become a mother? Like that is still a good thing to do with my life. And that was rebellious. That was a rebellious opinion to have. So it wasn't as severe as like the keep sweet kind of mentality that we are now seeing in like Netflix documentaries with like Warren Jeffs. It was not quite like that, but it has some similarities of like, just be quiet, be very sweet, don't react. And that's how a that's how a good girl acts. That's how like a nice young woman acts. But then the boys were insane. And they're like, oh, boys will be boys. I'm like, well, 
yeah, and I think this is really related to, you know, I've talked a lot about, you know, this messaging that we see a lot in kind of purity culture and also in, in cultures where there's a lot of sexual assault and abuse and misogyny, this message of, you know, when it comes to sexuality, the role of the women, woman or the girl is to be quiet, to control men through her modesty. And yeah. if she does not control men through her modesty, then she must be controlling men in a way that makes them want her sexually. And, yeah. and then that creates all kinds of excuses. And even within marriage, you and I have talked about this messaging of, well, you before, what is it? It's before marriage, you can't say yes. And after marriage, you can't say no. Yes, that but, is what a priest, what the, the pastor at Epiphany has told a number of my friends. Yeah, and I mean, this message, I mean, it kind of all plays into this idea that sexual violence against women will always be the fault of the woman. And mm -hmm. even when she tries to speak out about something that's going on sexually, that just doesn't feel right. But her speaking out is also her doing something wrong. Yes. And I think that goes back to the uh, example that I gave earlier of knowing of the girl in my parish when I was younger and just kind of the, the, just the situation of like, I have since learned that she was raped, but at the time I was told she was forced, which gives the idea of like, well, someone forced you, but like, could someone really force you? It just takes away like the really horrible thing that happened to her. Yeah, because, yeah, then it's like, you know, because it's really, the force is a really interesting word to me because it was, she was forced to do something, not something happened to her. Yeah. You know, that's like the she way. she was forced to participate in this. She was forced to sin. And that's even what people told me about, like, Maria Goretti of, like, he tried to force her, but she said no. I'm like, yeah. well, no, he tried to assault her. Yeah. <laughs> and... You know, so our words matter and what we, how we explain things to our kids matter and what we say to kids impact them at 30 years old still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you have a sense of, you know, at that time in your life as a, as a kid, what could have been helpful to you or to your family in, in processing that? The situation uh, or could anything have helped yeah or being able to or yeah or being able to talk about it or address it or recognize what happened could anything have been done looking back I don't know if I have an answer to that because maybe but the overwhelming feeling that I have looking back on that time is probably not uh, maybe in, yes, I could have said something right away. I could have, I could have come forward. I didn't really have the tools or feel the support in order to do that and didn't really know how. What I did know is if I, I knew it was bad enough to where if I told my parents, specifically my father, what happened? the very next place I would be would be in a police department. And I, I knew that, and I was not ready for that. And maybe that's not giving him enough credit. Um, I also can't, like, you know, telling them as an adult what happened was hard enough. Telling them as a child, I think would have changed me in ways that I wouldn't have like been able to recover from. My my, both of my parents, but especially my father was very protective of my mother and us kids. And so there was a feeling for me, just out of love for them, that like I wanted to protect them. I didn't want to tell them what happened, which is like not their fault at all. And that isn't something that I should have had to carry, but it's just something that was very much within me because of how much they loved and cared for me. 
I knew how much this would hurt them and that it wasn't my fault, but I didn't want to tell them something that would hurt them. And then as far as the community, if I had come forward, things would have looked so different. It would have been so bad at that time. I have no doubt that people would have taken his side because of the way that people treated me, specifically parents, saying that I was dramatic, that I overreact, that I was too loud, that I was too much, that if I was quiet or quieter or I like didn't have didn't express my opinions as much. I I knew that this would somehow come back to being my fault. And I, I would not have been able, if if things would have been so bad during already like tough years (laughs) that it just was, I don't know. I look at it now and I understand why I didn't say or do anything at that time. Yeah. I mean, I like, yeah, I'm just like, (laughs) you know, want to affirm everything you're saying. And also like, that's insane. Like the idea, you know, you looking back as an adult at your community that you grew up in as a child and for you to say things would have been worse for me if I would have said I am being sexually molested and I am a child. Like the fact mm-hmm. that you can look back as an adult and say, knowing my community, I, I actually would have probably ended up in a much worse place if I would have spoken the truth and stopped this man from potentially doing this to other people. Like, you know, like that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, and when you say it like that, it sounds as bad as it is. Yeah. yeah Cause it's, it's not I mean, we your, would been, we would have been like removed from the group because I would have been the problem. I have yeah. no doubt. I would bet all of the money in the world on that. And no one can tell me otherwise because I was the one who was being treated like dirt. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, I don't know, like, I just think about, okay, that community or similar communities today, right? Where mm-hmm. there, there are kids who are being sexually abused in tight-knit Catholic communities who have that same feeling right now and are suffering abuse because they feel or they know that my community will turn against me. And, and so there's this question of, you know, what, what can be offered to them? Is it just, well, suffer through this time and hopefully one day you'll be able to process this or, you know, what, what, I don't know, what can be done or maybe nothing can be done. I don't, just... Yeah. I don't really know because I didn't process it until I was assaulted as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I laugh, not because it's funny, but I just laugh at my own trauma now. It's kind of a coping mechanism, <laughs> but yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, what, there's nothing someone could have told me at that time that would have changed my mind that would have like encouraged me. I mean, I remember going to confession and telling a priest what was happening and him begging me to tell him outside of confession. I remember him saying, please tell me outside of confession. And even said, like, I will wait for you out, like, in, I will wait for you in the foyer. Please tell me. And I, I, I couldn't, I didn't, because I, I knew. Yeah. I, so and- I don't, I don't have an answer to that. I wish I did, but I, I have, I have no, I have no idea. I, because yeah. also, why is it like, why do we have to give something to the child who's being abused? Like, why are we trying to find something like, what can help the child? You know, who can help the child is the adults because that's their job to help the children, to be aware, to protect them, to love them, to keep them safe. And my parents did that, but the 40, 50 other parents didn't. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if anything, I think one of the key lessons here is just like, once again, believe women, you know, if a young girl in a group is trying to, yeah, but like believe the victim, 
regardless of their sex but like just if someone tells you this is happening to me believe them and yes it happens more often to women so the slogan is kind of believe the woman but just just believe someone when they tell you something terrible is happening to them well but also believe that when they say they're uncomfortable right because clearly you did you did communicate to adults in your life in various ways that I it is not good for me to be around this person you know there are various ways you communicated a desire for help and you know a lot of the mechanisms within the community function to just ignore you and let it happen while it was happening well I remember one time it was after I think the third assault because there was four instances it was after the third one I think my mom she didn't know but she knew that I was very uncomfortable around him which was like the same to similar feeling for her because she found him annoying if she hears this I hope she's fine with me saying it because she did (laughs) and um or just like just like cross some lines of things boundaries and we she talked to this other mom of like hey I know you guys are all hanging out and like I'm not going to be there but like you're the parent that's going to be there can you just be aware of this like he makes her very uncomfortable okay not and that mother was like he makes me super uncomfortable too I totally understand what she's going through And then she's like, I'll make sure my son step in if he does anything. And so on the ride up there, I was told to avoid him and just like not go around him. And then if he came around me, she told her sons, like, if you see him coming around Claire, just step in and like hang out with Claire or, you know, just, just try to do something. And I look back at that now as like, you were asking other teenage boys to like step in if a teenage girl couldn't successfully avoid an inappropriate adult male. That, I mean, again, when you say it for what it is, it sounds really terrible. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty in a right. way. And, you know, and, and, you know, we're not, you know, we're not necessarily trying to figure out who do we blame here? Um, yeah, and, and no, you know, I think we're all very clear on like who to blame for yeah, all of for, this. Like, it's the person who did the terrible things, right? Yeah, yeah. But in in terms of you know, in in terms of creating the dynamics where it couldn't be addressed, um, or yes. there wasn't safety to to come forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, one of the things that you had mentioned was it was so clarifying to you what it would have been like if you came forward as a child because of how people reacted when you came forward as an adult you know, yeah could could you share a little bit so we've talked about kind of the before the protective structures in your childhood that that kept you from coming forward um now so you you go through this period you um address it well you try to go to the priest who does nothing you're just with the archdiocese, you come forward publicly. It's only after you come forward publicly, even after the priest knows that finally the guy is no longer allowed to volunteer with children. To me, that detail is insane. The, the guy knows that you've come forward about sexual assault as a child with this guy. The guy's continuing to be allowed to volunteer with children. Mm-hmm. And then it's only when you post about this on Facebook that finally the priest is like, well, we got to save face here. This could look bad. Let's not have him volunteer with kids anymore. That's crazy. You go to the archdiocese. You know, again, basically what happens is the guy has professional development trainings or the mm-hmm. priest does. And yeah, so let, let's talk about, and, and then you go publicly with this article in the pillar, right? Right. So let, let's let's talk about what happens after that with your relationship with the parish community. Right. So the reactions that I got to the Pillar article were overall, the like overall encompassing theme was compassion. And people thanking me for coming forward, being very grateful for it. Um, 
there was quite a bit of shock from people. Um, and then just naturally people just apologize or say like, I'm, I'm so sorry that this happened to you or that you went through this, had to endure it. And that was kind of the, that was the overall theme. Um, the reactions from my fam- my family was, because my family had been very involved or they had known about every step of the way through this, but then reading the article kind of put the entire time frame in one page for them. And that was very difficult for them to kind of ad- acknowledge that, okay, wow, this was, this was really bad. Because when you hear things like, in little snippets it just kind of desensitizes you but when you read it all it's pretty bad it's it's really bad so my family had their own way of like needing to process it um but we're just um in their own realm I think really shocked that this happened to me and happened to someone that they loved and uh, wish they had known wish they could have done something. My family has been extremely supportive of how I have gone about this. Um, they've brought their concerns to me at times, but we're great. But then <laughs> there were people who were very upset that I came forward, people who were very angry. It wasn't angry that something happened to me. It wasn't angry that I said something about the abuser. It was angry that I said anything about the priest. And how dare I go against what he says or make up a story about him? Uh, Many people kind of reacted and saying, well, what would you have wanted him to do? And my answer to that is, I was very clear about what I wanted him to do. And I was very clear with the archdiocese about what I wanted them to do. And someone said, well, what more do you want from this situation? I'm like, I don't want more. I want the bare minimum that that's what I want here. Some, I went to the, I physically went to the parish about a month after the article was released. And uh, someone came up to me who I've known for years. And I just said, oh, hi. And she said, I'm shocked that you would show your face here. And I was just hit like a ton of bricks of how quickly people turn on you. And this was someone that I had known for years. Some of my people who were my closest relationships and people who I deeply loved have distanced themselves significantly from me. Some have cut themselves off totally I had a friend of 11 12 years who when I said hey what's going on like haven't heard from you in a while told me she never wanted to hear from me again she never wanted to see me again and if this is what I wanted to be known for then she never wanted to know me where was her exact words and I just still to this day cannot comprehend how this is my fault? <laughs> How am I the one that still continues to suffer here? I knew that going into this, but how is this my fault? Yeah, I mean, I think about this, especially in the context of a parish that, you know, kind of prides itself on saying the hard truths, right? And I think there are a lot of parishes like this yeah. where it's like, we say I the said thing- I said the hard truth, but I said it against your, your leader. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, you know, we want the hard truth as long as it doesn't disrupt the equilibrium that we have established here. Um, and as long as the people that we revere are not implicated. Um, yes, and that has really cost me in relationships with, with people who have asked, who in the past have asked me to be the godmother to their children. So there's, I have two of my godchildren that I pretty much don't get to see anymore. And like, whenever I've reached out to try to see them for their birthday, for 
their baptism anniversary or things. It's just kind of like pushed off and nothing has ever blatantly been said to me, but it's so obvious. And then when I see the birthday parties, like on pictures on Facebook, or I see all these things, which prior to that article, I was always a part of. But because I said something against this priest who they revere in the highest and in the highest way that they can I'm not I'm the one who gets cut out uh and that has been really really difficult Um, because I take my role as a godmother really seriously and I love these children and I want to know them and I want them to know me but I it's so painful I think that was probably like the most painful and then my parents like that's their parish that's their home I think they have definitely felt the brunt of it in certain ways that I can't because I don't go back there I'm also not welcome there the the one time I went back after it I can still see this group of women over by this like corner and I babysat all of their children (laughs) from like their first kid they had to the sixth kid they had. It was these group of women. I was their main babysitter. And they just turned and looked at me like I was, I, I, like I was scum. And I can still like feel their gaze. I mean, honestly, they were like the mean girls of the parish now. <laughs> and I was not welcome. I couldn't sit with them. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So, you know, when, when things like this happen or come up within a tight-knit community, you know, the community always needs a way to kind of explain it or needs a narrative. Mm -hmm. Usually it's some kind of simplistic narrative around that person in the situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how would you finish the sentence? So according to them, the problem is that Claire is blank. You know, how do you think various people would finish that sentence based on you growing up in the community and having been able to finish that sentence yourself at one point in your life? What they would say about me like now? Yeah, like what, you know, what Claire did is wrong or we need to treat Claire this way because Claire is blank. Because Claire is liberal now. <laughs> and <laughs> what makes you liberal? What, what, and, what and in their liberal? mind, what are the things that make you liberal? things that make me liberal is that I don't see things in black and white anymore. I think that a lot of conversations are, and a lot of topics are more nuanced than what I was told in the parish growing up. The idea that I've kind of, I don't want to say latched onto because I don't like that idea of it, but what they would say, like she's latched on to the mainstream media's Me Too movement. When really, no, just unfortunately, <laughs> I fall into that category. I didn't choose it. I wasn't like, you know what club sounds fun to be a part of? That one. So, but a lot of people from that community see like the Me Too community as just kind of like disgruntled women or like, people who like can't let the past go they can't forgive and then a lot of people have just kind of felt that way about me because I work in women's health so I have bought into liberal agendas of things when I I don't see it that way at all I just see it I don't think it's a party issue I don't think it's a liberal or conservative issue I just think it's a matter of I know what happened to me. I know what the truth is. And so I'm, frankly, the church is the one who told me to always speak the truth and to say the hard truths. Yeah, and part of being Catholic is, you know, we continuously like come back to and talk about the crucifixion, right? You know, we don't just move on. (laughs) Um, That's a really important part of who we are and the sufferings in our lives matter and are worth remembering and talking about and processing yeah the me too thing is really interesting to me because you know if for them 
being part of the Me Too movement means you talk about your sexual assault and say this was not okay and should be addressed and there should be accountability. You know, if, if doing that means you're part of the Me Too movement and the Me Too movement is liberal and bad, then mm-hmm. anyone who comes forward and shares their stories publicly is liberal and bad. Yeah, and I think that it, a part of that is, it also fell in line with, at least for me, and like this time period, and I have openly said this, is with the Kavanaugh trials. Well, Brett Kavanaugh, he's a good Catholic, and people are just coming after him. And this person is just coming and making these things up because they're attacking him as a good Catholic man. No, that's not what she's doing. She's coming forward because something terrible happened to her. And she wants to make sure that we don't put this person in a one of the highest levels of authority in the United States government, she put herself out there totally. So then I saw a trend of people saying that they like support Brett Kavanaugh. And now instead of me too, it was like him too. And like these poor men who are being accused of these things. And I just can't wrap, I just can't. I also wonder if there can be a little bit of self-fulfilling prophecy here for a lot of these communities. So if for them talking about your abuse means that you're liberal and me too, you know, if people who experience abuse finally find it so intolerable that they finally have to talk about it, if they believe those communities and their natural, one of their responses might be, I guess I'm liberal now. And so part of it might actually be that like these communities are actually like forcing them to adopt identities. Possibly. Or they might have to acknowledge that this has happened to them as well. And I think that is something that some people are not willing. That is not a pill they're willing to swallow. And I do understand that. I get it. As someone who has been assaulted as a child and as an adult, I understand that that is a really difficult pill to swallow. Yeah. So, okay. So we have talked about, um, yeah, like a lot of pain in that time, a lot of pain in the community, losing really close relationships, losing access to this community that's really important to you for much of your life. You know, would you, given all of the loss and the pain and all of these horrible things that people say and think about you, would you undo any of it? The no. Speaking out and the why? There's times where if people ask me, like, would I do it again? My honest answer to that is, I don't know. (laughs) Because I can see everything that has happened. And I know the steps. And I know the pain. And I know, I just, I know what happens. And so if someone says, okay, you have to do this all over again, would you do it? I, I don't know. I I don't have an answer for that. But do I regret it? Absolutely not. I do not regret coming forward at all because amidst all of the loss and the things that are said about me, I can sleep at night. I know that I spoke the truth. I know that I did everything within my power to protect and warn people at the time that I could, that I had the opportunities to. The the friendships and the relationships that were lost have been very difficult and very painful. But if this is what they're going to choose, if this is the reason that they choose to like break it off because I came forward about something that I didn't have a choice about and something really awful and something against everything that you preach to believe in, then I don't really want you in my life. And that's really hard because these have been friendships for like over a decade and some for even more than that. But that has also opened up doors for people who really do care about me, who who will be there for the really hard stuff. So... I don't, I don't regret it at all, Uh, but it was, it, (laughs) and it was worth it to be able to say, you know, I mean, I'm in a relationship now 
with a man who loves me and like supports me and will do anything for me. And I had to go through all of this stuff and come forward to be able to process and articulate what had happened to me. And so I was in a place where I could tell him what has happened to me. And also for him to, to just automatically say like, this was horrible. This was terrible. I'm so sorry this ever happened to you. This was wrong. If I hadn't gone through all of this, I would not be able to articulate or to be able to tell him this way that this is what happened. So in just a small portion of my life, it was totally worth it. But I, like I said, I sleep well at night. I know I spoke the truth. I am not hiding in the shame of something that I don't deserve to have shame about. And someone else gets to carry that shame because it's on them. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you were saying about, you know, like the loss of, of some of these relationships, because, you know, they, they were mad that you spoke the truth about what happened to you. You know, one of the things that I think is in some ways, I mean, I'm some, I hold on to relationships <laughs> far right. longer than a lot of people think that I should. Yeah, you really do. But, <laughs> But, you know, but I think for me, you know, I, I love, and I think you're, you're very similar, you know, you do what yeah. you can to maintain relationships and exercise appropriate boundaries. But one of the things that I think is, you know, if, if there's someone in my life, who's going to tell someone that they don't want to be around them because they spoke about their childhood sexual abuse, I think that is one person I never want to have unsupervised around my children. Correct. Because yes. if that's how they, because part of that response is they are also responding to that childhood you who experienced yeah. that. And if they will treat you that way, I'm very confident that their children will treat other children that way. Mm-hmm. And that's horrifying to me. And I don't yes. want that. I want, if my child for some horrible reason has an experience like that, I want to know that every adult in their life will say, thank you for telling me. I support you. Whatever you need next, I am with you for. I do not need any adults around my child who's going to experience any hesitation in communicating that. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of who the person is Mm -hmm. that, that does that thing. So I don't, if, if given the opportunity, I don't know if I would do it again, but I don't regret it at all. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what would you say to women who are on the verge of maybe coming forward or what would you say to your younger self who is on, who was in the process of making that decision, but it hadn't been made yet? Um, What I would say to women is, unfortunately, the first thing that comes to my mind is Buckle up. This is going to suck. It's going to suck real bad. But you're doing the right thing. People, people are going to be cruel. And it is going to get way worse before it gets better. I'm on the better side of it now. So like, I, I can say that. And there's still times where like it's not great. But it sucks. And something that I, I tell my patients uh, as an as a, as a labor and delivery nurse is like the only way out is through. And I think that that can be said for this as well. It's the only way out of this shame of this anger of any of it is through. And that through portion may look different for every person, whether that's personal, like private therapy work, whether that's telling a few trusted people or whether it's coming forward on a, on a broader scale. That looks different for everyone. Um, but you have to go through it. You have to go through the, you have to go through the uncomfortable to get to the other side where you can like take a deep breath again. Yeah. And then to, to my younger self, what I would tell myself at 15 I would just be like, I'm really sorry, sweetie. I'm just, I'm really, really sorry. And that's, 
despite what people say, like, this isn't because of the way you dressed. It's not because of the way you acted. None of this has anything to do with you. This is all about someone else and their control and they're really messed up, whatever it was. I don't know if I would tell her to like tell anyone or do anything because again, I know how bad it would have been for me. So I would just try to tell her like, it's not, it, this is not about you. This is not a you thing. And this isn't anything. You didn't do anything to cause this. Um, but then a 26 year old, I would again, be like, buckle up. This is going to be real terrible. And it's going to take a very long time. It is going to take much longer than you thought. This is not going to be straightforward. And a lot, like when I finally told my dad, like, Hey, we were in the middle of the 2018, uh, court case. And I said, I think I want to come forward about Robert from 2007. I remember sitting on my couch and calling him while I was watching the Kavanaugh hearings. And he goes, are you sure about that? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, okay, uh, let's talk. Let's talk. Before you do anything, let's talk. And I said, okay. And I think he came over either that same day or the next day and just said to me, kind of asked me like what my goals were, what my, what my intention was out of it. Was I okay if those were not met? Or like that didn't happen. And then he said, are you prepared for people to like say things about you? and to not believe you. And uh, something that he said and my spiritual director said is they treat women pretty terribly. And a lot of people aren't gonna believe you. Are you sure you wanna do this? And for whatever reason, I said, yes. Uh, and then he said, okay, we'll go into, we'll go into the department next week. So I, 26-year-old Claire was really cared for and taken care of in the way that she could. But I would tell her, like, this is going to be, this is going to be real bad. <laughs> this is, this is going to be real bad. The people who you have around you right now are not, not going to be the same people that are with you at the end of it. And that was very, that was very hard to recognize as it was happening but I think that's that's one of the things I would tell her is like the people who are here now are not going to be the people at the end of it you're going to lose a lot of people through the process and that's okay it's okay to lose those people yeah and you never know I mean down the road someone may come around or they may say I'm part of the reason I respond that way was because I wasn't ready to address things in my own life and, and you have had a lot of people come out to you and, and say yeah. that your story had a really good impact on them or finally gave them the courage to finally say something to someone. Yeah. I mean, I still get messages from people and I don't always respond because I don't have the um, emotional bandwidth to do that for everyone, but um, I still get messages. I still read them and the message, messages that I get now are like solidarity or like me too, things like that. All of the angry people, they found something else to be angry about. So they'll get to whatever. They'll find yeah. something else to be mad about or whatever. They'll be mad to me, to my face if they ever see me. It's fine. I don't really care. Because yeah. at this point, like you're just getting mad at someone for speaking the truth which is what you value so much yeah so yeah yeah no I think that might be kind of a good place to kind of wrap it up you know yeah like yeah. this is 
hard. I obviously have had many feelings throughout all of this and, and I'm not an unbiased person in case anyone's wondering. No, you're not. No, you're not an unbiased person. You've been, you've been with me through the entire process. So, I mean, we, we became friends like maybe about like five, six months before the assault in 2018. And I will say this openly here on this recording that I lost some of my closest friends when I initially came out because I, I told people that I reported it within the first week of it happening. Um, and I really didn't have a whole lot of people. So for all intents and purposes, um, your host here was kind of a stranger to me. Um, and um, it was Chris and some of our other friends who came to my house and stayed during the day so I could sleep, who brought dinner over so I had something to eat um, and would just stay here so I wasn't alone in those first weeks. And that is something that I will forever be, be grateful for. Um, because this was something that you guys did when we really didn't have a friendship established. Um, and you, you guys were, you guys were Jesus to me. You guys were the church to me at a time where, um, people really slammed the door on me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I mean, I just, yeah. Yeah. So no, you're not, you're not unbiased at all. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I don't know, it's kind of weird, like, as, like, sucky and, like, as horrible as, like, you know, everything that happened was and so much, uh, so many of the responses and and the fallout after, um, you know, I think kind of, like, going through that experience together, I think, just really did a lot to, like, enrich my life and enrich the life of a lot of people um, you know, learning and, and struggling through it. And, you know, this was the first time that I had worked through something like that, um, in a somewhat legal capacity, somewhat church capacity, somewhat like advisory capacity. Well, I think it's also worth noting that then in the middle, like a few months after, like all this happened is when the Philadelphia grand jury report came out as well like it was just like everything was thrown at one time yeah and I don't know like I definitely you know I wish that I could take away all those like hard experiences from you um also at the same time like I recognize that like going through that with you and seeing your strength through it all and um being able to like walk alongside you like it did so much to um, open up my eyes and open doors for others and to learn how to like safely and responsibly like help others in, in similar situations. And that's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, and yeah, and it's enriched a lot of my friendships and taught me how to be a better friend. And, and yeah, it's, you know, you talked about the initial days after and the things like, yeah, make sure you eat and you sleep Mm -hmm. and, I think that a lot of times when people go through these traumatic situations, they kind of forget that it's just, it's not some big magical fix and being a yeah. friend is not some big grand gesture. It's just right. being there consistently and over a long period and it changes and right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, friendship is good place to end unless Was there anything else that you kind of wanted to <laughs> share? Thanks for listening. If you're a survivor, please know you are not alone.